Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. Hello and welcome to the Asian Cinema Film Club. This is episode 87. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me of course is my host, the Professor Mr. Stephen Palmer. Howdy. On tonight's episode we look at Swing Girls, a musical comedy as a ragtag bunch of underdogs set out to take to the stage as, um, as a big band swing band. I don't know. A, 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 a big band. A big band. I'll edit that about. Um, <laughs> but before we obviously get into that, it's time to ask what you've been watching. And Stephen, since the last episode, what has been holding your interest? So, not quite on message, but sort of. Okay. And inspired by a recommendation from friend of the show and previous guest, Rashmi. Yeah. I you're, decided. Uh, the person you're a young boy too. Yeah, I decided to give the latest big South Asian, i.e. Indian movie, RRR, or um, I can't remember what it stands for, like um, Rise, Rage, Revolt or something. Um, I think it's Raw. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, so it's not a Bollywood film, it's a Tollywood film, because it's um, it's in the Telugu language, and I've learnt lots about this, because... I think, like a lot of people, I thought Bollywood was the was the big industry, but apparently, um, Tollywood has now taken over. Anyway, doesn't really matter. I don't speak Hindi. I don't speak Telugu. But luckily, it's very well subtitled. <laughs> um, like any Bollywood film I've ever seen before, it's over three hours long. Like every Bollywood I've seen, there's a couple of song and dance numbers in it. However, what it actually is is this weird batshit crazy action adventure that the only I was just trying to think what I could compare it to um let me let me describe the plot to you up to a point and then I'll, I'll and then I'll see if you can come up with something that it's like so basically it's set in 1920s um I want to say Delhi I'm able to show my lack of knowledge of Indian um, geography. Yeah, 1920s, under under the British Raj. And it tells the story of two people, one called Ramaraju and one called Beam. Ramaraju is like a kind of cosmopolitan, um, educated uh, member of the British Army. And he's hyper capable and, you know, and maybe a little bit vicious and... We see, actually he's not a member of the army, I think he's a member of the police, but he acts like he's a member of the army. And then there's another fella called Beam, who's from a tribal village from a completely different part of India. Um, at the beginning of the film, the villains of the piece, the British um, governor, played by somebody who can't act. Basically him and his vicious wife effectively kidnap 
a young girl from this village because she's really good at doing henna painting, you know, because that's what you do. Yeah. Um, so he takes her back to be like her little, not, not really a slave, more like a sort of little thing that they bring out to show off at parties. To a curiosity. Yeah, that kind of thing. Now, Beam, the fella from the, from the, from the tribal village, is like some kind of fucking superhuman. <laughs> that's... His job is to get this girl back. And apparently, you know, this is a thing. that These villagers are really nice and kind, but when you cross them, they will do anything to get one of their own back. Um, the, the, and, and basically the story comes out, he's going to come and kill the governor and get this girl back. So the other fella, Raju, who keeps getting passed over for promotions, volunteers to capture Beam, and therefore he'll get this special promotion. So he's... He feels like a, um, you know, like some kind of like race traitor sort of thing going on. However, pause that thought. They meet. So even though one is hunting the other, they meet accidentally while saving someone else in a, in a ridiculous stunt. And they become bros, man. It's a real bromance. Until they find out who each other are. And Raju basically, well, they basically spend about an inordinate amount of time beating the shit out of each other and other people around them whilst a zoo is emptied onto the contest. Don't ask. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I'll stop there. There's a bromance, there's misunderstandings. One of the characters got a different backstory, which is pretty clumsily um, told at really weird times. The CGI is all over the place it's about 80 percent the quality of a hollywood cgi um the there's the two song and dance numbers one of them is actually part of the plot because they have a fucking dance off to show they're better at dancing than white people the other bit's just at the end like an like a music video that would go on youtube or something so it, it's fairly unnecessary the last 10 minutes um now your mileage will almost certainly vary but this thing is fucking amazing. <laughs> it's, it's just... I, I've really struggled with Indian films in the past because they're just too bloody long. There was so much going on here that I didn't get bored and I managed to watch it all in one sitting. And you've known me long enough to know me watching a three-hour film in one sitting is not something I do very often. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also... The two characters are based on real-life people who were involved in the Indian rebellion against the British. But they, in the real world, they never met. They're from completely different historical stories. But it just presupposes, what happened in this time we didn't know about them if they met? Well, what happened is they'd become bros and have adventures together and against each other. And also, there's a lot of CGI animals in this. So I think there's a famous bit that I've seen in trailers and and gift around the place where Beam takes on a tiger, but there's a later bit where they ta- the pair of them take on a whole fucking zoo. Um, at the beginning of the film, there's two title cards. One of them is, "Look, guys, these are historical figures, but this is just fantasy, right? This is just pretend," because. India's in a funny place, much like a lot of the world. There's a lot of sort of, you know, India's a big place and there's lots of different races and lots of different areas and there's some tensions going on there. And there's there's a view, obviously, that everything's very Hindu-centric. So 
the the director who is a bit of a nationalist in the wider Indian sense from his previous films has had to say look this ain't real this is just an imagination we should all get on together but the second title card has to remind everybody that no animals no tigers no dogs no pigs no bears no snakes no anything every animal is CGI created because I don't know how you'd think they were real but they had to say it anyway from the from the opening title cards to the final song and dance number, this is amazing. Um, it's shallower than than a one inch bath. Um, the, it's horrendously nationalistic and jingoistic. And if we thought we saw some bad white actors in Hong Kong movies, you've seen nothing yet. Some of it's dreadful. There's a couple of decent people. Um, it forgets about whole plot strands. So even though it's got three hours of plot in it, it decides not to even fucking bother with some of it. Anyway, if you get a chance to see it and you've got three hours and you're willing to accept it to be... It's like an Indian superhero film without costumes. The closest thing I can think of... Do you know like um, Guy Ritchie's Sherlock Holmes films? Yeah. Which are... Nothing like Sherlock Holmes stories, but it uses those characters. And I do appreciate Sherlock Holmes isn't real and that these two fellas um, are. <laughs> okay. Or based on it. But it's like that. It's like this hyper real superhero version of people with genuine heroic backstories. But yeah, I, I, I highly recommend it. I do know maybe it, you, you probably wouldn't be as blown away by it as I am. You've probably watched more Indian action movies than I have. Uh, no, no, really. I don't want to. I don't actually watch a lot of Indian cinema. Many because every time I watch it, it's just so over the top stupid. Um, it's the same as that um, that uh, Captain Alex uh, African movie that was doing the rounds a few years ago that everyone was sort of like raving about, and it's all like it just they've reached the point where it just becomes really stupid and I just can't get into it and Indian cinema in particular tends to fall into that category when you see some of the stuff that's come across I mean some of the earlier stuff like the burning train is kind of interesting um, but this new breed where like we've discovered computers and we can just make everything like really stupidly over the top I mean there's a uh, that series of action ones where you've got like uh, the guys forming the human pyramid to take down the helicopter that I've seen a clip of, and uh, the other one where he's like Robocop and he gets all the guns into a giant ball, and I just it just becomes oh, kind of a there's, headache. There's, there's an even there's a hilarious bit here where one of them has been in sort of an underground pit, solitary confinement. I think that's the suggestion is his legs aren't quite ready yet, so he basically gets on the other guy's shoulders, and they take on a whole fucking bunch of British soldiers whilst one is effectively giving a shoulder right to the other. It's just... It's it's bonkers. You shouldn't take it seriously, and I can see why they've gone around... You know, it's... Yeah, it's, it's almost as if they made a... I don't know. Let's say they made a film about Winston Churchill, but it turned out he was really... Batman. <laughs> well, they did. Uh, was it uh, Winston Churchill, the Hollywood years, where he's played by Christian Slater? Yeah, yeah. But it's it's more than that. and and there's beefcake bodies that can't be fucking real, <laughs> and it's yeah. just it's it's just silly. But it's a really you know, and and obviously Indian film industry, you know, the, there is quite good production values, and 
and some of it's bizarrely shot in the Ukraine, apparently. So, and it's taken like four years, by the looks of it, to actually come to fruition. I think COVID has been problematic for it, for the finishing it off and things like that. But yeah, I, if you get a chance, you've got three hours, give it a go. It's, it's well worth your time. But if my description hasn't ignited your interest... The film's going to offer you nothing more than that hyperbole I've just given it. I just feel that I got three hours to spend on other things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I don't know when it eventually like filters through to film four or something. I'll probably catch it then, but it's not one that I can see myself sort of rushing out to see them. I mean, I've got looking at the shelf here. I mean, I've got so much stuff to watch. Oh, as I, only, is, so. I only watched it because Rashmi said, "Have you seen it?" I thought no, and then I thought, "Oh, you know what." I will. Obviously, like you, that that was my three hours of film watching this mm. week. So yeah, it is it is an investment of time, but I always feel that with Indian movies, and I also can't stand song and dance in the middle of movies. I'm, even though I like some quite ridiculous <laughs> films, people don't tend to just in real life start singing and dancing in the middle of my workday, and so I always it always seems to take me out of the movie. But I get it that. It's really well done and so on. Anyway, there you go. What about you, mate? It, I was just about to say, it's sort of like whenever you uh, see see some director who's sort of like giving us another version of Anna Karenda or an uh, adaptation of a Jane Austen novel, it's sort of like, do we really need this? Um, and this is the problem with the, with the British film industry, as I pointed out to someone the other day. It's sort of like all we now produce now is dire comedies and costume dramas to fund said dire comedies. So we the do hip have days of train spotting are long gone. Yeah, well, yeah, I saw. Um, I told you didn't I, about Burn, 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 which is a few, couple of years. I'll caught that on Mumbai. That was really good, but that was in the the dark British. So and I've, we talked about it. I can't remember if we talked about it on. On, on Mike or not, but it's it's in the realm of like Ben Wheatley's Sightseers, which is another classic. So that we do have this sort of um prevenge, there's another one. But we have this we do have a quite a good indie scene, but it's the big budget stuff. Yeah. Oh, it's fucking Downton Abbey the movie too. <laughs> Here's a version of Emma. Here's a version of Pride and Prejudice. It's I suppose we've got to give Kira Knightley something to do. <laughs> um, but as as we were saying before we came off of there, it's sort of like my new strategy for getting rid of people I think have no place being on the screen, such as like you know Alan Cummings and Richard E. Grant, just to put them in a play, and then nobody has to see them ever again because nobody really goes to plays anymore, do they? But you know, it keeps them busy. Said somebody who went to a play on Saturday. Did you? I did, but that's because my. Did you find yourself sitting there going, "This costs more than a movie." No, I sat there because my daughter is, was the lighting designer for it yeah. and she made me go. It was a children's play. Did you like at some point go, I'm very aware I'm watching a play right now? Because um, that's what I like to sometimes say when I'm watching like some amateur productions if it gets a little little dry. I, I'm i an English literature A-level student. I've seen a lot of plays. I've been a lucky boy, mate. I've seen Daniel Day-Lewis and Kenneth Branagh both do Hamlet. Right, so I, I I feel I've seen plays at the very top level. I've also I've seen, seen Arnold Schwarzenegger do Hamlet as well. Oh my god! Yeah, all right. I think I still win. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was an experience. But but I've also seen you know school plays. I've seen amateur plays, professional plays. I'm not saying I'm a theatre lovey. I don't know how my daughter has become one, but I'm seeing a lot. But it, it's to me. 
it's just a different experience and I try not to compare the two and the one thing I do hate is when they make films of plays and just film the fucking play <laughs> well, like the rest of our dogs um, oh, stage show well more the other way round um, I watched Hamilton the you know the musical the, the oh film you talk about when just, they film a play when they well when they make a film of a play right okay like that's especially Mr. a Alper. musical off oh, I mean that yeah what just missing the point because it was written... They're missing the point the fact that it doesn't need to be a musical it's there's no singing in the book no that's what you can make a film of the book yeah. don't make a film of the musical stage play they, because... they just needed to, Hugh Jackman just wanted to do something where he gets to sing and... yeah but it's all right because. Because the director of Les Miserables won all those Oscars and got to make Cats. Yep, and James <laughs> Corden busy, and and Rebel Wilson and all the other great musical actors of our age. Well, they spent all that money removing Cats' assholes, didn't they? From it, I I don't know. I've just been watching a YouTube video. It's in it was in my mind, and I haven't seen the movie. No, of but not. I but I think I'm going to. I think I'm going to adopt it. <laughs> Like a stray cat. <laughs> anyway, come on. What have you been watching, mate? Um, little more. Why well, I say lowbrow, but um, it's been a week of some fantastic discoveries to say the interest. So it's really shook up my um discovery list for this week. First off, uh, we have the 2020 documentary Assassins, uh, which looks at the assassination of King Jom Nam, who is the half brother of Kim Jong Il. Or Kim Kim Jong Un is. Is that it? the fella that was murdered at the airport? Yes. Basically, you had these two girls who um, smeared this, uh, this this deadly chemical onto his face. The twist of it being that they thought they were on a prank show, and that they were carrying out a prank. And the documentary basically examines how these girls got recruited into this plot and the larger plot that was in play to remove him. Um, they were like Thai or Vietnamese nationals or something. Yeah, they were basically like girls from the from some village who had like gone off to the city and were basically forced to work as masseurs uh, because there was no real money and that's like the best paying job that they could get. And they were recruited by this uh, Japanese um, national who was part of this larger plot and. He was apparently making like prank videos um, to sell in Japan, and uh, they were doing all these these different shootings. And one of these shootings, they'd convinced him that he was an actor, and that they would go and wipe what they thought was um, baby lotion onto his face. Um, but it was obviously this this uh, nerve agent. And the documentary basically looks at the state of North Korea because obviously as far as the CIA is concerned it's a black hole when it comes to intelligence and that the in particular the link it had between Kim Jong-un because um, Kim Jong-nam was sort of like first in line to take over from his father when his father died unfortunately he had disgraced the family by trying to sneak into Japan I want to say um using a fake passport that um when the name translated meant uh, fat bear oh right uh, in, in Japanese it was in like yeah. when they translated it so yeah. the fact he was, he was caught he was caught first of all using a fake passport and also caught at Disneyland like the most American thing you can think of and mm. North Korea is not 
particularly fond of anything American. Unless unless you're the great leader himself with his love of Hollywood movies, but that's, yes. another, that's another story. <laughs> he has like one of the largest film collections in the world, and yeah, let's not. I mean, let's not forget that Kim Jong Un was responsible for kidnapping the lead actress and director of Pugasara. Indeed, go back to we got to it. We got the episode of Pugasari, and we've also got a Dark Tales of Asian Cinema talking about those two. Um, so yeah, yeah, he was the, he was the mastermind behind that plot. Um, now Kim Jong, the with uh, Kim Jong Nam, he'd been basically exiled to Macau, I think it was. But at the same time, Kim Jong Un coming into power, he's a young guy. He's got the old guard there, and he's afraid that what they sort of what philosophy. Because a lot of this is like assumption, really, that he was behind it, and that he saw his brothers potentially sneaking and and taking his power from him. So. Even though he had like repeatedly said to him, "Do not assassinate me, leave my family alone. I have no interest in taking over the North Korean, uh, like leadership of North Korea." Um, that he was still like deeply paranoid of him, and that's why he arranged to have him assassinated. And basically, the guys who were responsible for this plot disappeared into North Korea, and they piled on these two girls who were basically going to get faced being hung for this plot. They had no idea that they were involved in. But the documentary, has said, it breaks it all down, and it's. I liked it a lot more than I think some of the more jaded critics on their uh, letbox did, who basically said, "Oh, he's like you put ominous music behind it and throw enough facts at the screen, they want to buy whatever you throw at him." But I really enjoyed it, and uh, you can watch it on Sky Documentaries still. So, I d- I'll definitely give that a watch. I love a documentary about North Korea at the best of times. Um, next up, we had the gangster, the cop, and the devil. From 2019, directed by Lu, uh, Lee Won Tae, which is a South Korean crime drama um, in which a loose cannon cop has to team up with a gang boss to track down the serial killer, who's uh, basically causing them them both problems. The serial killer unfortunately decides he's going to randomly attack this gang boss, which uh, then sparks a bit of a gang warfare. At the same time, the cop is trying to track him down because he's keen to get a promotion but at the same time he's just constantly causing problems for his superiors who are also in sort of line with this uh the same gang boss this is an absolutely phenomenal thriller and one that you really want to see as it sort of like captures all this sort of style that we've come to expect from the korean crime thrillers and at the same time has some fantastic action scenes to boot uh it also features mei dong suk who is doing was most recently in i want to say the eternals is it or is it the immortals that MCU movie nobody liked. Oh, the one by Chloe Zhang. Yeah. Yep. Um, yes, I remember. Yes, I know who you mean. He's also in Train to Busan. He's the big bear guy. Yep. Uh, is he not the guy I've met? You may have. I don't know who you've met. I'm pretty certain. Was he in? Was he's he an in American families? actor, but he's born. Oh in no, Korea. no, 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 no! The guy I met. It looks very similar to him, but can barely speak English. <laughs> okay, I I promise you, he's not the same guy. <laughs> but no, he's also in the good, the bad, and the weird. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. Um, he's just phenomenal in this. He sort of like captures that. He's kind of like Anthony Wong, but in beast mode. Mm-hmm. Um, as he's just like constantly beating the seven shades out guy. He's got a real sadistic edge. Like he's doing this uh, deal with one of the the viral crime bosses, and he feels that two of his underlings aren't 
being respectful of this meeting so he batters one and then pulls the front teeth out of the other before like serving it as a shot as a sign of respect to this other gang boss um it's really is this is a phenomenal thriller and one i recommend checking out um there's the action scenes in particular, they're like these big mob roles, and obviously being the North Korean uh, gangsters, they're very similar to like the triads and the Yakuza, it's, there's no guns, it's just knives, chairs and poles and basically anything else they can think of, and it's got a real Yakuza vibe to it. There's certain scenes in this where I've looked at them and thought, oh, I seem to like this, it's very much like Yakuza. Yeah, I. It's one of those films that's been on my list to watch, um, and I will watch it. I'm just thinking, is Lee Wan Tae? He hasn't made many, has he? He's not. I mean, he's directed three other films. Uh, he did The Devil's Deal. Yeah. And he also did Man of Will. Right. Uh, neither of which I've seen. So me either. Um, no, I the the. Now you've reminded me, I, I'm just looking on Letterbox and I remember the poster and it's like on my long list. It looks like there's there's a whole bunch of Korean films from this sort of time period, sort of 2015 to 2020, that to me all the posters look the same. But I think you've um, you've probably sold me on it. Well, better <laughs> still, if you go, if you got in the UK and you've got iPlayer, you can watch it on there still. On iPlayer? Yeah, of all places. This is the way it turned up. <laughs> How cool. Um, it's got nine more months on there, so you need to get a wiggle on. I, I'll try and get round to it. Just stop watching three-hour Indian movies. Yeah, yeah don't worry, mate. I'm not suggesting we expand our uh, our remit to include the Indian subcontinent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, this, is, this one was so good, I would obviously have thought about bringing it to the the show but i think certainly this is a strong contender in my my top films of the year um this was a very high um entry in that list so cool strong so far uh so that yeah that's obviously what i've watched this week uh production of movies and tea is currently on hold because uh kim has just given birth oh congratulations so we've got kim. a new heir to the throne so I can retire in about 15 years. Yeah, yeah, so young Victor is going to be no doubt phoning me up at some point to tell me how much he hates his parents. And I'll be like, you know. <laughs> oh, bless. Well, congratulations, cool. Kim. Thanks. Um, but otherwise, we would have been talking about Kiki's Livery Service, which we obviously have talked about. Mm. But we have just put out our latest episode of our Tarantino uh, season which is looking at Kill Bill, so you get to listen to me talk a lot about Pop Samurai movies and Sonny Chiba and God in Low and just a whole bunch. It's just a lot of Asian cinema fanboying on that episode, so uh, you can go and check that out. And Kim also has some real great insights into the actual proper translations of what some of the characters are saying. We need Kim back on this show more. We do. <laughs> we just got to find the right movie to tempt her over. And allow her to... Yeah, yeah. Allow her to get over her traumatic but exciting news. So she's um, so. Congratulations to them. Well, on that note, it's time to fire the projector and look at tonight's feature presentation, which is Swing Girls.
Okay, so Swing Girls, directed by Shinobu Yaguchi, uh, released in 2004, is a tale of a group of delinquent and lazy schoolgirls in their efforts to cut out remedial summer mass class, um, accidentally end up poisoning the school brass band and take up their place as a way to skip out on their mass class, only to soon discover a love for big band jazz swing as the ragtab group uh, formed their own band and set out to uh, take the title for themselves. Swing Girls is a film which was added to our first time we did um, our first 50 top Asian cinema of all time. Uh, this was a very high contribution from Steven. So it's uh, much like Love in a Puff. We're slowly crossing off Steven's uh, contributions to that list. We, we are, aren't we? Um, Which is good, I mean, obviously, because it's a very high <laughs> on that list, so it makes sense to, like, it, finally check it out. And it's just it's why a you surprise it so you picked it, not me, for to bring to the show, but that's fine. I mean, this is a film, obviously, I freaking adore. Um, it is, at its core, you know, a teen comedy. It takes a similar sort of pattern lots of teen comedies especially especially one of the director's previous films called water boys which also takes a bunch of school kids doing something that they wouldn't normally do to have a life affirming um, scenario um, in, in that case it's a bunch of japanese schoolboys who become um synchronized swimmers um and also the lead character the lead lad in this film and also the teacher both are in Waterboys, so it, it, it's 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 not a sequel to Waterboys in any way, shape, or form, but it takes a similar sort of template. Um, I'm really, 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 really lucky that I've met um, Shinobu Yaguchi. Um, he came over for a um, you know a, a, for one of the film festivals to. I think he was pushing his film Wood Job, another really good film. Um, and I got to interview him for Eastern Kicks, doesn't speak a word of English, and we had an argument about com international comedy, where I suggested to him that not all comedy was international, and he disagreed, and he said everything was, and I said, maybe people slipping on banana skins is, but a lot of it is cultural. Anyway, we got on lovely. He's a lovely man, and he signed my DVDs of Waterboys and Swing Girls, so they are two of my most honoured possessions. But I love this movie, and this movie's also got Yuri Ueno in it, who we've talked about before in a very early show with Turtles Are Surprisingly Fast Swimmers, which I think is a film we were a bit disappointed with, if I remember rightly. I did, but that's because I loved Yuri Ueno, because she's this amazingly sort of quirky Japanese actress in a... but who is also fairly mainstream. Um, this was the film that made her... Um, this film in Japan was a huge success. Won loads of lot of the Japanese equivalent of, I guess, of the BAFTAs. Um, it even spawned a concert DVD where the girls, the actor, the, the actresses and actors, um, literally played a live concert because there was some talk that they couldn't play their instruments because. Yes, a lot of the playing here is mimed, but that was only partially true. And it's very charming, and yeah, they're very amateur at it, but it it it, it led to a thing. Um, so it was a real cultural phenomenon. And 
the re one of the reasons I've always wanted to bring it to the show, although you beat me to it, it did take us eighty seven episodes, but you beat me to it, is that I really like the idea that Japan just has teen comedies just like we do, <laughs> and, and and they are just as funny. Um, I'm hoping above hope that you liked the movie <laughs> after I've just given it that heartfelt justification before we've really talked about it. But this for me is just like a five out of five. I love this film. Yeah, this is a really fantastic movie. Um, this is, like you said, this is yes. a. It is a it is a comedy, and it's actually surprising. It's an international comedy, which has some truly sort of laugh out loud moments, which is something that is kind of rare and only something that I found in like Stephen Chow movies. Um, and the other example would being like Jackie Chan, but with Jackie Chan, it's sort of more obvious sort of slapstick, and with Stephen Chow, it's like this. It's more. Um, it's more dialogue based um yeah i mean stephen chow knows how to do slapstick and i always feel we're missing half his humor so it really depends from our point of view on the translation whether they can somehow translate the the witticisms of the of the language so i I do think a lot of it gets missed Uh, this one just it just feels you know if you like something like pitch perfect or one of those kind of sort of just crowd pleasing yeah. teen comedies. I think you'll get a kick out of this, and it doesn't matter you know, that people are Japanese and speaking No, I mean, Japanese. this is very much the scrappy underdogs battling against the odds to eventually come out on top. And certainly compared to many of its sort of counterparts, here the girls like. It's almost like the insect woman. You watch them like get to a certain points and they get knocked down and then they go back and they climb back up again and then get knocked down again and they lose half their members and then gain back the rest of the members and it goes in some very surprising directions but it hits the ground running and just like almost feels like I'm watching a TV show that's been edited into movie form because it's got a very generous runtime of about an hour and 40 minutes but it has a really great opening where you've got these girls who are just more concerned about slacking off in class um eating doing makeup playing around with their phones than they are about getting doing this uh, summer school like math class yeah they're um you know again it's one of those one of those tropes about asian schools and high performance it's lovely to see addressing the, the, the fact that this this bunch of girls have failed maths and they're having to spend their summer. And it's that that summer that we see so often in Japanese cinema where it's freaking hot and the cicadas are... You know, the whole first half of the film, the background music is just cicadas going... <laughs> it's really fitting seeing as we're in the middle um, of a heat wave here to watch this movie. I know, right at this minute, we're, we're in the three days of heat wave that we're going to get in the UK this year and we're both dying for our fans. But, yeah, it's it's... It's very similar to another Jerry Ueno film, um, Summertime yeah. Machine Blues, which takes place entirely in this mode. Hopefully we'll talk about later in the year when it gets released on Blu-ray, finally, in the UK. Yay! Um, but, yeah, and then and then the time moves on, doesn't it? You know, and we end up in winter, so there's this real sense of this takes place within sort of like six or seven months. But, yeah, the fact that they are slackers, that they haven't... Um, they're not the school geniuses. These are These are people they're just normal teenage girls and unfortunately they were more interested in something else and they they just having to do catch up meanwhile the sports club uh, the baseball team and the 
of you know they're the high achievers and the and the proper brass band who are their like glee club yeah. equivalent i suppose cheer cheer club uh you know they're all doing really well i just like the fact that these girls are slackers and that they're girls because again i think the normal trope would be that they'd be boys right because boys are in you know in, in especially in these asian cinema tropes they're they're the ones who can be lazy and delinquents and stuff like that and these girls aren't delinquents they're just normal it's true it's also interesting the school takes place in the same school as battle royale it is is it and it's just interesting. we shoot okay. it from a different angle because every other time we're shooting it ah. um, facing into the school, whereas all these shots are facing from the school outwards. Um, and if you look yeah. out, there's a scene where you see um, a truck, like the one they have, they plant the bomb in, chasing a car down the road. And if you read the uh, the manga, there's a child chase in, that, in, in the manga that we discussed in the part work, and it's like, oh, there's Yamada <coughs> going down the road. Oh, um, that's interesting. But yeah, it was like, look, it was like, this school seems way familiar. And then, because it's like out in the sticks, and it's like, no, this is the school from Battle Royale. Um, it's yeah. just now we're obviously seeing it. Oh, in fascinating! Data. Yeah, it's all. It's also nice, nice that it is set in like um, Yamagata, and not in Tokyo. You know, it it, it it's it's got a, a semi-rural setting, which I think adds to its charm as well. But um, these girls, they get trusted when the uh, delivery driver with the lunches for the. For the band turns up and he's missed the bus uh, for some reason they trust this entire class of girls to go and deliver the lunches which of course they managed to screw up and give the band food poisoning leaving an opening for them to take over and there's a really great scene where you've got the uh the head teacher who leads the brass band and she's just talking about how she's like given up on going to hawaii with her friends and when she's been wheeled into the uh, ambulance, because when they've all got food poisoning, they're going, "Oh, I, why?" Yeah, and she's a really cool character as well, who sort of appears again later, and a bizarre romantic subplot that never really is exposed as happening with her as well. Yeah, cool. Yeah, but it's this brass band that um, that uh, Yuta Hiroki's. Uh, Taku um, is part of he plays the cymbals but he's actually a very talented pianist and he's shown in the brass band he's the one who's just constantly screwing up so they assume he's a bit of an idiot but he's actually a rich kid who's very talented at piano and he's one responsible for turning this mismatch of uh, untalented girls into this tight uh, swing band unit that they ultimately will become and we obviously get these fun sequences where they're sort of like training and trying to learn the skills and they've obviously got no clue and we have humorous setbacks where they buy a bunch of used instruments but they're all faulty and there's a rat in the drum kit and and, and a rat a rat in one of the trumpets as well but we and we get you know we've got so we got um uh yuri who i know plays um tomoko who yeah, she just seems a bit of a uh, just just a normal girl, and she's got a younger sister, and she lives with her family, and yeah, maybe she's not quite focused on the schoolwork as she should be. There's um there's another girl, I think it's uh, Yoshi's her name, who who plays the trumpet, seems to be a friend. Um, there's the the very studious girl with glasses. Oh yeah, Sahuchi, who plays the recorder. Who, yeah, she's also really. She's also a talented uh, trombonist. 
Yeah, that's right. And the other one is the drummer girl. You know, who who's they make <laughs> out she's fat, but she's not fat at all. Wait, no, <laughs> she's like, just normal size. Can we just but say the that, that, that she's introduced eating cookies with the vibrating belt that you see advertised on like late night TV, the one that stimulates I, your I, stomach. Ironically, you and I were talking about that last week, last time. We oh, we were, weren't we? we? Because yeah, yeah I used to and work. I thought, oh, <laughs> when I was in college, I used to work for the call center that took the calls for all the garbage that you see advertised on like cable TV. So we used mm. to sell pe- we used to sell those like vibrating belts to weight loss, and you would see people return them because they like all they do is sit in the chair, and it vibrates. Not only like vibrate away with like smoke pouring out the the thing, mm. you know, like. Uh, but- but yeah, she's introduced with one of them, but she's not, it's a bit unfair because she's just, when you see her in context, she's not like obese or anything. She's just normal size. But that's the, that's, I guess that's part of the joke. Can I just also ask, like, there's a scene where she's late and she drops her skirt, which causes the guy to flip his bicycle <laughs> down the hill. <laughs> yes, there's like a delivery boy. What was it? There? What happened there? Because I think I looked away from the screen. She suddenly drops her, her skirt. She he's... doesn't do it on purpose. She, um, I can't remember what it is, but there's some reason she lost weight or something like that, okay. or something's happened and she stands up and her skirt falls down. She's obviously just standing there a bit <laughs> shocked with her. We don't see anything. No, so there's another, another interesting, you know, quite often in Japanese cinema, schoolgirl panties, fan service, all that. None of that shown, but he's obviously cycling past, and it's like on an embankment, and and he sees obviously sees this young girl because they're only like fifteen or something, aren't they? And um, he's obviously staring, and then his bike, you know, he falls down this embankment in a very very <laughs> very steep one, it's just all, and then just sort of gets up and just cycles off again. <laughs> That's, yeah, interesting because yeah, the girls are not fetishized and not sexualized, but that is kind of again, it's kind of what we're getting at. That would just be funny, a guy falling down on his bike because there's something's distracted him like that. I think that would be funny in whatever country that's mm. from. But yeah, so those those girls and obviously um, Nakamura the boy, um, the the story kind of focuses on them a bit and. Although there are like seventeen people in the band, they do chuck ten of them off to the side for a bit. <laughs> they do sure. because uh, they're trying to raise money for for their band because they've got no instruments, so they all get a job in this this supermarket. Which has again, whatever they seem to do, they have they they always play to like great comical effects. So they work in the supermarket, and there's a scene of them making out with mannequins, or them oh. they manage to set fire to the store. They do. Their job doesn't last long. Um, But and the scene where she's uh, giving out samples and like when they when they walk past her and she's just eating the samples and stuff, it's like I associate with you right now. Yeah, they just feel really real and and even when it gets ridiculous. So the like 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 you say they've um so they've they've got a taste for it, but then the band recover from their food poisoning and take all their instruments back. Um. Uh. Tomoko, she ends up selling her sister's Dreamcast. Oh no, she, she sells her PlayStation because uh, she's playing. Oh, that's right. It is a PlayStation. It's a PlayStation Two, isn't it? It's a it? PlayStation like... Two, and she's playing Space Channel Five. That's right. The um, game, the, 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 which was a um... real no, but I thought that was only in Dreamcast. So, just what I know. No, it was. It was on PlayStation. Because that was the well. one see it. with Michael see Jackson it had a cameo in it. It is, and it's also the one where Miss Kia from D Light sued them. 
for clearly ripping off her image. <laughs> um, and she's in the first Sega All Stars Racing. Yeah. Um, but her car looks like a giant sperm. <laughs> Which is just so bizarre. Like all the other characters, they all got like, like cars that fit their personality. Like you got the two guys from Virtual Fighter in the off row of uh, the Outrun car. You got Sonic is in like a blue spiky car. Like Tails is in a plane, um, and the girl from Channel Five is in a freaking giant sperm. It looks like, and it makes no sense. Um, I've I've got that on the Dreamcast. I cannot. I'm never good at rhythm games, but I cannot get anywhere with it. It's it's up there with Parappa the Rapper. It's it's not the greatest rhythm game because they haven't like really nailed the peripherals for anything. Um, no, so it's a little janky. But that's a good game as well, Parappa Rapper. Anyway, the point is, Tomoko sells her sister Punch. stuff. No, what to do? <laughs> oh, when, oh god, the fucking driving lesson one. Yeah, God, no, stop it, stop it. We're not doing this. We'll do another show about. Early two thousand computer games. Another time. I can't even remember like the the very the the stereotypical onion chef. Oh, who teaches mate, you kung fu cooking? I had that game on the PS one, and I've bought it since on the PS four. Sure you have. I fucking love Parappa the Rapper. Yeah. that is right up my alleyway. With that, but anyway, yes. different different thing. Um, yeah, she, she does that. Um, but yes, you're right. So they they find out. So she buys this second hand. Um, thing. Oh, you've forgotten about the other two characters. I've forgotten their names. Um, oh yeah, you got two. Hiromi and Yuka, the the two sort of girls who own their own guitars, who are just like counterculture and just don't give a shit. But they've got their boyfriend or these guys that fancy them or ex bandmates, aren't they? Yeah, they were in a band with these two guys, and they spoke yeah. in the band. They, they the only reason there is because they want to make some noise. Yeah, this is this is the actual reason they give, and they just sit there and they like uh, real sort of detached, but they are somehow still very into being but, part of this band, and they're really into being it. But they're luckily they're the guys that love them work at a scrapyard and are able to fix all the secondhand instruments which they bought, which are, you know, oh because. God, we don't. I guess we're gonna go. I'm gonna go through the whole fucking plot. But yes, although they fail to make money at some of their jobs, they then decide that they're going to go and pick mushrooms on oh the um, studious, the studious girls' grandparents' hillside. <laughs> but it goes wrong because they find out they're in the wrong place. Well, no, Accidentally, they, they go out. They go to the mountain. They realise that. Uh, it's like Japanese is really vague, and it's like you don't. Your grandfather doesn't own this mountain, does it? It's like it's owned by the like the local government. Um, that's right. That's right. But they accidentally kill a wild boar in the most inventive way possible. I'm not going to spoil it, it, but it... no. Let's just say they they and and actually, it turns out that they get a reward because this boar has been eating loads of um, farmers' crops, which then enables them to buy the second hand. Um, instruments, which you know, which is then we bring in those other two guys who fix all the instruments yeah. up for them. But again, this is this is just what fifteen minutes of the film, and and there's just so much inventiveness and comedy and charm in it. And even the even the bit in the again, we don't really want to talk too much about how they kill the wild boar, but that's done in a really. Um, it's got Louis Armstrong, isn't it, singing the song from yeah, the, it's end of the Majesty Secret Service? It's wonderful world. It's... Um, Secret Service is all the time in the world, but it's wonderful world. Is the that's right? You're right. You're right. But it's done yes. as a series of um, 
of uh, 3D frozen moments. I think I'm sure there's a probably a better term for it, but um, yeah, you basically see these snapshots of these girls running away from the pigs, where this this boar, before they managed to better the boar. But the best part is that. <laughs> They had their photo taken in the uh, paper, and um, the guy's like looking up at the tree where the mushrooms are still hanging. That's right. Every, every, it's just it's just packed full of little moments like that. It's just such a really well designed sequence that that moves the story along. It brings them together as a gang. And there's just jokes. There's one of the frozen moments, Yuri Ueno's got snot coming out of her nose and it's going to fall into the other girl's mouth. Nothing ever comes of that. It's just a visual joke. Um, and like you say, you know, the, the, the photo in the newspaper, it shows all the truffles hanging up on the tree, which they've been gathering illegally. Um, but they've got away with it. It's, uh, it's genius. And the f- great thing about this movie is the fact that they're not instantly good. They're awful. <laughs> like, a good three quarters of the movie. They get, like... They get hired to go and play in front of a supermarket, and the guy like chases them off because he's the scaring more business away. Um, and it's you, the joy in it is seeing how they they come together, how they like suddenly grasp of how they're supposed to play, and um, how they sort of they build up and become the swing girls and a boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a boy. Yeah, and then, of course, then their math teacher, who was at the beginning of the film. Um, turns out is a huge jazz aficionado, except um, so that so he's played by a really famous Japanese comedian called um, Tadahiko Ozawa. He's also like I say, he's also in Water Boys, but he's in a lot of Japanese films of this age. But yeah, he's he's brilliant because you know he's a real jazz suit, isn't he? His 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 apartment is just wall to wall with vinyl records and he's got this really expensive saxophone and he's got all the audiophile equipment and they're in awe of him you'll teach us you'll conduct us you'll help us and he does give them ideas the tragedy is he can't play a note no um <laughs> as we see him he gets shouted down by this kid that he's in um, music class with and he's like you're awful i want to learn something new i i never learn anything we go we go back there about three times yeah. don't we to find out and of course the thing is what we what it all ties together is that he had been leaving big band records in the music room to try and get the music teacher lady who you talked about earlier to kind of notice him it's his kind of it's what like a 12 year old would do to try and impress a girl or something like that and he's been doing that but no one had a freaking clue <laughs> that he was that and they say in well, the music the, 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 there's a girl in the music lessons that he goes to there's a teacher there's a young boy playing piano there's a girl playing like double bass or something or cello or something isn't there and the girl says yeah just like every man you're just doing it to impress a girl and that sounds as, as a throwaway joke but then it turns out he really was. <laughs> no, no, this time I'm doing it for I'm me. just looking at his filmography, and there's... I mean, we could do a month just of his filmography alone. There's so much good bits and pieces he's been in. He's been in, like, Gun in 1 and 2, Shin, uh, Shinjuku Incident, Great Yokai War, yeah. Robo Geisha, Mutant Girl Squad, Tokyo Fist, Happiness of the Katamuris, Ghost in the Shell 2. It sort of, like, goes on and on and yeah. on. He was, like... He's... 
I mean, he's he's a bit more than a jobbing actor, but yeah, he's a really familiar face. I don't I don't know if you recognised him, but he he's sort of this this I sort of saw this film when I got back into Asian cinema, and certainly all the Japanese films I was seeing at the time, he was like the face that I recognised all the time. He like I say, he plays a very similar role in Water Boys, and if we ever watch Water Boys, we are going to have to talk about Dance Dance Revolution. So let's save the rhythm games. <laughs> Because I just remembered that's how he teaches them rhythm in that film. Um, but he's 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 fantastic. Um, I need to, and he's still working I need today. To, um, I think I need, to, as I said, he may be a strong contender for our next month. I think, yeah, I I'd never, I haven't seen many things that he's been the lead. Oh no, he's I think he's always like sort of this this second sort of the sort of second. He's, he's, he's usually um, important comic yeah. relief. Um, sort of like, it was either him or Ricky Takeuchi was my other choice of doing a, mm. a month with, which would mean a lot of Yakuza movies because that's basically his mm. bread and butter. But we could certainly deep dive on a few, a lot of different movies if, if um, we went for him. But yeah, but, yeah I'm he's a also big fan of him. Sumo which is another film yeah. that is on my watch power. I want to try and get hold of a copy at some point. So. Uh, another another film that I want to put in our top whatever we get to when we get to episode one hundred. Another fifty, we're gonna be on two hundred. So yeah, um, yeah, no, really, really, really. I'm not gonna say he's a great actor, but he's got sort of like this personality and charm and comedy, comic timing, and he's just brilliant. And I think he's brilliant in this, even though he's only in like five scenes or something. He he's is. a missing element, really, to what this this group is. And I think this is one of the the key parts about this this film is it's not only about them going from being the underdogs to pulling it all together at the end. It's about finding the missing components that make them as the group. Um, and initially, cause the film comes to surprise because you have this big group of girls and then we lose half of them. And we get fall down to like six members. And I thought, oh, wow, it's just going to be like these six members who are going to carry through. And then the other half come back and they form this even stronger sort of unit. And they have these moments where they like just like improv, do like performances on the uh, on the train. They t- they use a karaoke room um, at one point yep. to practice in. And it's also, it, 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 the, there's, again, I just, it's just one of those times I just want to list every freaking scene in it, mate. But um, there's the, the one of the struggles they're having is they, and again, I'm not well. There is a bit of personal stuff to this that I haven't gone to, but let's just say I can't play an instrument right now. <sighs> Me and then I'll Counter that argument. I'll, well, I'm going to counter that because there's another reason I love this film. Um, that they don't understand because jazz works differently. That you accentuate the backbeat. Which is very difficult for, and and the music teacher talks about this, doesn't she? That you, that it's really hard for the classically trained um, people that she looks after to understand jazz because you accentuate the alternate beat and on on, on the different on, on the different stroke of the beat as well. But they they get it, don't they? By the um, suddenly realizing that the tone from the crossing. Is actually accentuating the backbeat, and the, and the, and the, the, girl, the little studious girl goes, "Oh, is this jazz?" And they're going, "What are you talk about?" And then suddenly they realise, and that's what—it's that kind of real-world thing which suddenly makes them understand how to be in time. Because up to then, they're playing the music wrong, 
and that's why it all sounds awful because they're accentuating the wrong beat. So, you know, like last episode, I talked about my long history with smoking. Yes, and I talked about my long history of failing to pick up smoking. Okay, it's going to be a bit similar. When I was a young boy, um, we had to do, I guess this is true in every school, but music was really important. And it was a a lot of money and effort was put into it. And in the UK, there were two things that happened. Most most schools had a band and everyone got given a fucking recorder, which is the worst instrument in the world, right? It's but it was cheap to produce and everyone did it. But what you would do is that everyone would do the recorder and then some of you get to go into the school orchestra. Now, I my school and, and musical instruments are really expensive, and I went you know I'm from council so I couldn't afford this so I wanted to play the violin all the school ran out of the violins I don't know why I wanted to play the violin it just seemed like the right thing to do what they gave me was this old (laughs) multiple hand trumpet (laughs) that looked not too dissimilar to Yuri Ueno's saxophone I've got to be honest with you it was that color And, and and so I spent three or four years playing the trumpet now There was a year, after a year, my music teacher told me, Stephen, you have no sense of rhythm. Which persists to this day. And I spent a year in the school orchestra to get a sense of rhythm as the rhythm section. So I had to play the bass drum, I had to play chime bars, I had to play all kinds of sort of rhythm-based instruments in and amongst people who were doing all their grade 11 violas and stuff like that. Just to try and get me a sense of rhythm, right? I did that for a year. Went back to play the trumpet for another year. I was still hopeless. I never got it, except the final time I played the instrument, it just twigged. But I'd already said I was giving up. And he just said, if you'd done that three years ago, we'd have been all right. But yeah, so I have... I I can play the trumpet. I haven't done it for decades. But hilariously youngest daughter who is very much a musician and has taken that from her mother um she played the trombone and the drums during her secondary school years and she always used to you know she used to bring the trombone out and everyone a bit like this film you know you know everyone just blows down it and can't make a noise she was quite disappointed in her dad when he knew how to play it because i know how to get a sound out of a brass instrument you know how to yeah. properly blow into you it your I, lips, don't you, you make out that well it's like it's like um the, the 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 it's like you sort of act like you're spitting a great pip out of your mouth so you purse your lips and you sort of to it and that's how you do it she was well disappointed when i was able to get a tune out of it but um i have to say i can't really play a musical instrument anymore um i had no sense of rhythm i am the whitest man you'll ever meet and uh but this i guess this film is is playing a bit to that to me you know there's sort of the there's a there's a there's something there a bit like love in a puff where i'm remembering the days i used to smoke outside the office this film just reminds me of the days i was in the school orchestra playing mm. the trumpet i'm afraid i won't be able to do that about next time so okay i'm gonna be honest with you I'm going to have nothing to add to that. But yes, there you go. I just love this film. Is it coming over, right? Is it, is I it, think so. Think I mean... Gonna, do you think people are going to understand? I I had such a blast watching it this week again. Yeah. Well, I, um, I have zero musical talents. I failed to play the trombone. Um, I was My triangle playing was uh, controversial because apparently nobody wants to hear a six-minute triangle solo. 
<laughs> the trial. Um, God, but as I said, you may take my yeah. dinger, but you never take my backup dinger. <laughs> uh, but no, as I said, was oh. <laughs> I smoking? I failed to take up uh, music. Um, so yes, um, whereas I can play the piano for my own amusement, but certainly no one else's. It would normally go wrong around uh, the twentieth key. The, there's there's a reason I have a collection of synthesizers just, because because you were like an eighties very kid. little musical talent. You just thought um, I'm going to be like uh, Pet Shop well, Boys, which is now just basically looking like you're playing on the computer while your friend sings the songs. Um, it is a bit like that. No, do you, what was that for? When we watched Pale Flower, and I liked all the like, weird avant-garde music. Oh yeah, but That's yeah, why I've got yeah, but Pale Flower was, was fusion jazz fusion, which is yeah. But that's the kind of I like making yeah, but noises. Do you know how scat? I'm was not so involved. interested in. You do you know how tunes. scat was like created? Don't you? Louis Armstrong no. was in the studio, he knocked his notes on the floor, and just made it up on the spot, and that's how scat was created. But, I see. Yeah, I. Oh God. Jazz does nothing for me um, at all. It's it is noise. I think lounge jazz is nice, but it's also music to be enjoyed with scotch. Um, that's mm. why it's nice. Um, because I mean, what about this kind of? I mean, this is this jazz, is but big this band is like swing, sort of which is just, jazz, again but, yeah. something that I don't. I mean, yes. I mean, they go through the usual motions here. It's the usual movements that. That, that they pull out here. I mean, there's no certainly no deep I mean, they cuts pull out, that you're to get with this movie. No, no, it, it, it's it's the standards. It's Glenn Miller's In The Mood and things like that. So that the, the, the tunes are familiar to an international audience, I think. But it is also music from the 1920s, um, which is interesting that a Japanese group are playing that because I don't expect... Um, Japan, knew who we also was. get the uh, <laughs> that big jazz swing moment, which is like whenever you've seen a, uh, if you've like seen the mask, or whenever they've needed like a big, like uh, dance movement song. That da 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 da. I can't remember what it's yeah. called, but I just uh, know I love uh, the fact at the end they have their own little mu- music video where they're casting in love, which they're miming yes, they really yeah. well. <laughs> For, for for something not in their own language, um, I guess. Especially but, the, yes. the the math teacher who's like loving every second of that song. He's like he's got the movements. Like oh. the girls, are like uh, they're doing little bits or they're in the stream. Uh, but he's like yeah. he's like having his uh, his Frank Sinatra moment there. He's like owning every note of that song with his movements and everything else, and like he's serenading yeah. the love interest in there, which is about as close as you get to a romantic moment between them and it's not even part of the movie absolutely yeah i mean there is yeah i mean talking about that there is a sort of a a a suggestion of a pseudo romance between um tomoko and nakamura isn't there but they don't to it to the film's credit they don't go there and that moment that instant she just ruins by um jumping up and getting him covered in snow <laughs> but um, kicking the tree doesn't she and gets him oh yeah because we have but... that great moment where the girl gets uh the baseball to the eye which means we get another addition to the girls with oh. patches list yeah indeed yeah she she's pulling out uh her full um oh god what's that film that swedish film that the oh you um is... i know the one you mean you're talking about uh they call her one eye the 
That's right. Well, this is what Daryl Hannah is pastiching, yes, isn't it? In in Kill Bill. Um, I can't remember, but yeah, it looks a bit like that. But that's a that's a that's a serious bit of makeup, isn't it? When she gets the best is like eye. when you got the kids behind her, behind her. One's got like the butterfly net to collect stray balls. It's, oh, yeah. it's just these bits going in the background, and uh... <laughs> they also when they're cheering, they're they're actually doing the negative cheering of the opposition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just oh, this. It, it, I don't think when I'm watching it, I'm laughing out loud, rolling about on the floor. I'm chuckling. But when I go back and think about every single scene in this film, there's something I just love and adore and remember about it. It's just a really nice comedy and it's life affirming. And But at the end of the day, there's no great risk. Nothing, Nothing would happen if this story didn't happen. No one's... Life is on the line. No one's not going to go to university because of it. Even though Juryuena's character, you know, forgets to enter them to the big competition at the end. So what? Because they have a laugh on the train. And then they get to perform. And then when they get to perform, it all goes all right. There's no great well, Yeah, you have that moment where it sort of clicks. Crisis. Like, they're tuning up. <laughs> so yeah, like, that's Because what... it looks like they're going to fumble it at it. the last moment. And then they... They get it yeah. together and yeah, they they just say take a moment, let's let, let's tune up and then we'll go and it the, there's still an element I feel of a bit of amateurish about it, which is the other thing as well. Nothing's going to happen. They're just going to perform. This doesn't this isn't going to change their lives. This doesn't mean they're all going to go to a prestigious move, music school in France or anything like that. Yeah, this is just it. Um, the other. Th- thing is i guess what we have to remember is that yuri ueno will also i'm just trying to think if it was before after did she get famous no so swing girls was sort of her big first lead but she would go on to play the lead character in the classical music led initial sort of manga adaptation live action tv show no dame cantabile cantable cantabile um which again she was massive in that and there's a couple of movie spin-offs of that as well so yeah she kind of made her name in in two films about music but well two shows about music but that's really good as well if we ever if we ever want to look at a japanese TV show, that's where I'll send you. Uh, looking on the board, we had some very positive feedback from this. Uh, Rolf Itchon oh, really? said, Love! <laughs> um, <laughs> he also recommends Woodjob. <gasps> yeah, Woodjob. Um, so, Woodjob, again, it's another kind of young kid in a weird job role. Basically, young boy ends up being a lumberjack. Yeah. And that's what I interviewed um, the director about. Really good, really uh, good, really funny. Caesar Alessandro Jr. says it's a joyful movie and one that instantly puts a smile on my face and a yearly visit. I can understand that. I watch this once a year. I would. It's not one that I would like have on all the time. I think it'd be like uh, Pitch Perfect or um, Band Slam. Well, there's movies that if it comes, yeah. if it like came through, then I would, I would have it on and no doubt really enjoy it. Um, he also goes on to say that his crown achievement is survival, uh, survival family. 
um, and also gives a recommendation to Water Boys as well. Um, so yeah, it's um... yeah. Um, you can't go wrong with this director's films. Water Boys is a huge amount of fun and is really the the prototype for this. Swing Girls is excellent. Um, Robo G is pretty good. Where these boys create a robot. Woodjob's good. I haven't seen Survival Family yet. And I haven't seen Happy Fight mm. either. But he, he is one of those people that is making comedy films in Japan that are just good old-fashioned comedy. Um, and, and not weird shit. True. It's funny. <laughs> uh, David Brooke has also given this his seal of approval. Um, and I know team member Steph is also excited because I sent her over my copy. So she's uh, excited to see this one. Apparently it's been on her watch list as well. So I think it's one of those movies that's been on people's watch list for a while. And now it's sort of like it's become a little more easily to get hold of. Because I remember this back in the days of Yellow Cinema. Don't you remember that? That's Yeah, yeah. Well, that's where I got my original copy from. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, real questionably yeah. named sites. <laughs> um, that used to have all sorts of weird bits and pieces and then someone cut on to you know perhaps this isn't the best name for a site and then it all kind of fell apart uh, because they cracked down on it did movie sharing because this was early 2000 I want to say that uh, that was about and things were a little more grey um, well they, they were equally as illegal but we just didn't care um, and they weren't torrents. They were, at, you know, the files were hosted on that website, and you could download them. <laughs> and it was one of those places, you know, where all the they're, they're all split into two parts and things like that. But yes, I that's where I got my that's why I first saw it, Yellow Cinema. And um, but yes, I then ordered a DVD from Yes Asia, which. Interestingly, both that and Waterboys have English subtitles, which is not very common for a Japanese DVD, I can tell you. And like I say, I proudly presented them to the director and he signed them. I think he wondered what, how on earth I had two copies of his film. Hmm. <laughs> that wasn't the first time that ever happened in my old days of interviewing people. But really nice fellow as well. Um, uh, and yeah, like I say, I'm just, I'm just delighted, A, that you liked it, and that other people have heard of it because I always wondered if it had ever. I, yeah, I, I, did, I don't know why. Because um, certainly hasn't had a UK release of any sort, but it should. I don't know what the status for like the region ones or whether people have been um, imported for like Yes Asia, like one of the import levels or something. Mm. No idea, but um, certainly it's got a it's got a following in the circles we move into, like over the guys over at Gents Guide to Midnight Cinema. Um, there's uh, people over on their Facebook page who are uh, clearly fans because they wanted to tell us about it before we came on air tonight. So, no, good, good, good. But hopefully, if um, if if uh, Summertime Machine Blues does well, maybe they'll get more Yuri Ueno films over and Swing Girls will make it. But I guess there's always going to be a problem, isn't there? Because it's got music in it, and any film which has a lot of music in it. Although I'd hope all this music is out of copyright, there'll be licensing issues and stuff, won't there? But never, we never know. I, I live in hope, mate. Cool. Um, 
So that brings us to the end of tonight's episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, if you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show, as it all helps raise the profile of the show as well. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Come say hi to us there. And you can also send us an email at acfilmclub at yahoo.com. Uh, let us know what you think or you can go to our blog which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com uh, which has got our full archive episodes we've got the Takashi Miike month recaps we've got the Anthony Wong month recaps we've got our chapter by chapter breakdown of Battle Royale we've got we reviews podcasts we've got all sorts of bits and pieces over there so go check that out as well and you can also find ways to support the show you can check out uh, our show sponsor yes please vintage show uh Lindsay some love and uh check out uh has her pages uh to see some great finds on there as well just a host of stuff happening here uh but steven what would you like to choose for our next episode so i think it was very kind of you to suggest a film. Well, the lot, technically, you kind of helped me with the love in a puff. I, as well, I, as that was I the forgot. thing because I felt like kind of like fortunate to choose love in a, love in a, a puff for my own selfish means, and that's why I went to your sweet. But I was going to back. So I knew you were a fan. So uh, yeah, so I've had I've had two films, and also I've been able to talk about smoking and brass bands, two things which I've lived in. Now, what people listening to the show probably don't know is is that every time we talk either before or after the show you try and tell me about wrestling because you're a big fan it of has wrestling been right up once or twice yeah but you you're a fan and i'm i'm not really you just don't appreciate well the i'm not a... ballet or professional wrestling no but what i th- what, what i thought was why don't i bring a film to the to the show that's okay. about wrestling um, you may have seen this already. I'm not too sure. Um, but that's so another a South Korean film by a director we've talked about before, Kim Ji Woon, who directed the amazing Taylor Two Sisters, which I think you've eaten multiple pops, podcasts <laughs> out about. Um, uh, starring the amazing Song Kang Ho, who we've seen many times. Um, it's the 2000 um, okay. Foul King. I don't I know if you've seen it known, before, but, but it's a film. I've... But it's a film about a bank clerk who takes up a career in professional wrestling. And if I could think of a film which was more you, I cannot think of one. So I think you'll get a kick out of it. I hope you get a kick out of it, but if nothing else, I'm giving back. <laughs> it's, 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 um, and then when I, when I saw it in my pile tonight, I thought that's the film. So hopefully you'll be able to find a copy and, um, it shouldn't be too hard. It's Kim Ji Woon. So it's hardly an obscure director. So good luck with that. Fantastic. So we'll see you on the next episode where we talk about the foul. Um, so make sure you join us for that. But until then, thank you as always for listening. Thanks to my co Steven. And uh, we will be back next time to talk about the foul kink. But until then, good night. の
いは忘れて昨日のあの子は忘れて踊り続けていたい夜なのさ This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.